0: hello and welcome to what is tentatively being called media junk drawer this is the first episode of which i hope will be many my name is macy and i am currently sitting in my closet filming this on voice memos on my macbook and i'm probably going to edit it in GarageBand. so hopefully this sounds all right and if it doesn't i will cry and have to re-record it so hopefully this first recording is the one you're hearing i am an avid podcast listener and have wanted to start my own independent podcast for a while um i'm currently studying journalism and english and have a huge interest in pop culture and media I'm graduating in like a month hallelujah i'm so excited so this podcast is kind of whatever i want it to be i was kind of going back and forth with a lot of ideas but I do not really want to constrain myself to one idea and then hate myself for it later. So I'm stating right now this is kind of whatever I want it to be. But it's mostly going to focus on analyzing aspects of pop culture and media each episode. Pop culture to me is so broad and has an umbrella of other categories underneath it. So the possibilities are truly endless with this podcast, which is why I like the theme I'm currently going with for now we shall see. So, I envision this podcast covering, like, book discussions, album reviews, musician deep dives, culture, ph- culture, excuse me, phenomenons, film, the media, celebrity gossip, all that. Anything that has to do with pop culture and media is fair game. I think we're living at a time where we are truly blessed with the amount of popular media and culture there is to explore and discover, and I feel like Gen Z, as the generation I'm in, is specifically one of the most creatively driven generations. Um, I think that the people in this generation have a lot to offer and want to offer society and the world of pop culture. So I'm super excited about that and I'm very excited to be a part of that. Oh my god, that was an email notification, sorry if you heard that I don't know if you can actually so one of my hopes for this podcast is to share with all of you but also to learn from listeners as well I'm sure when I start out there'll be just family and friends listening so hello thank you but I want to continue to grow and learn myself as a pop culture and media consumer so like for example my book repertoire is pretty big if you know me I obviously read a lot But film is something I want to get more into and want to learn more about, just like, in the way I know a lot about books and the genres and everything to do with literature, I want to expand that into different subjects such as film, which is just one little example of a vast array of different examples I could come up with. So I don't want to make this intro too long, um, but feel free to reach out to me on any of my social media accounts, which will be linked below. I think it's the proper terminology linked in the show notes. Or you can head to my website, Um, You should be able to find me on social media there as well. So I wanted to jump right into a topic today because why not? This is a topic that I love, love talking about. So hopefully this shall go smoothly. But recently, The Hunger Games has had a huge resurgence on social media specifically tiktok um i was reading some articles beforehand and i think the hashtag the hunger games on tiktok has like 7 million videos which is insane but kind of like the harry potter resurgence like when was this 2021 (laughs) when like all the draco maltoy edits were coming back that was so funny but now that's happening with the hunger games and honestly i'm glad because hunger games is my favorite dystopian novel series from when i was younger so there's like a ton of fan edits going around a lot of fan theories and analysis which i think is super cool um i was kind of thinking about this i don't know where people are getting this like information like i read the books i haven't read them like super recently i read them (laughs) during lockdown in 2020 so, it's been a few years, but people are, like, coming up- not coming up with, because they claim that this is true, but, like, these elaborate backstories to certain characters that are- were, like, super minor or, like, only had a little bit of screen-slash-book time. So, I don't know if Suzanne Collins, like, posted, like, a 200-page thesis about the Hunger Games universe that I'm just, like, unaware of, or if people- if this is just, like, fan theories- who knows? But like, there's this one girl on TikTok. <laughs> if you're on the Hunger Games TikTok side, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. She's like bangs and like dark hair, and she's been doing a lot of analysis on these characters and the backstories, which is actually is really interesting. I will not lie. Um, I would go look her up if you're interested. But I think part of the reason why this is rehappening re people are getting re-excited is because the prequel is coming out in November, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, I believe. I still have yet to read it. I need to do that. But it's the backstory behind President Snow. So I think that's super interesting. So because that's coming out, I think people are obviously excited. And also, this is definitely a marketing ploy, but Netflix released the Hunger Games series on Netflix only for the month of March. Probably to get people, to get people, excuse me, rehyped about the series, as they start dropping like trailers and stuff like that for the new film. So I was kind of thinking, like, okay, why is the Hunger Games like so much more popular? Because there's like there were these other YA dystopians, obviously Divergent, which is pretty big, but I think the Hunger Games is bigger. I think people are more into the Hunger Games, and I stand by that. Maze Runner, Legend, all of that things, all of those things. Sorry. But I think The Hunger Games is most popular because I feel like it is the one that closely resembles our society. And hear me out before, before anything, because saying that The Hunger Games, like the actual games, <laughs> reflecting our society obviously is not true in the sense that it is in the novel. Suzanne Collins got the idea, one, from a Greek myth, and two, she was flipping back and forth between two TV channels. I forgot which ones. It was like some game show and then like news coverage on war. So she took the idea from real life society. It's not, she didn't like dream about this or anything. So I think that's an interesting aspect. And obviously, if you've read the books and seen the movies, you know that there's a lot of jabs at American culture, at American government, society, like how the systems are set up. If you look at the map of Panem, um, people do analysis on this too, but it resembles the United States. It's obviously supposed to be like a post-apocalyptic kind of setting in the United States after some big war, some big fight, which honestly you wouldn't be surprised if it happened. I just think it's super interesting Um, if you really want to deep dive into that. Again, there's so many creators who do that, but I was kind of more looking at YA dystopian as a whole. The Hunger Games is just kind of what kicked off that idea since it's kind of making a comeback. But my main question that I was asking for this episode is why is our generation, Gen Z, super attached to the YA series from our youth? And I'm going to start... This little discussion with myself with a quote from author Todd Mitchell. This is kind of a long one, so. Often books and movies become popular when they respond to deep seated social need or anxiety. I think this is especially true of fantasy and sci fi books, which act as the dreams of our collective unconsciousness. And right now, we know on some deeply unconscious, or maybe even conscious, level that we're screwing things up. We know that our population and overconsumption is driving the planet to ruin. We might not accept the science of climate change, but we can't ignore all the droughts, floods, superstorms, forest fires, heat waves, and other signs of a world spinning out of balance. Nor can we ignore the many signs of social inequality leading to civil unrest. So there is this very p- perplexing dissonance. On the surface, things are good, but deep down we know there are problems, and all this dissonance is uncomfortable. It feels contradictory, so it sends us into denial. Either we deny that things are good, or we deny that there's an underlying problem with our society, and the contradiction goes away. That was the end of the quote. I honestly think that quote could probably sum up my whole entire question, but we're going to talk about it a little bit more. But Todd Mitchell was, or is, he's still alive, sorry. He's the author of the Backwards series, which was like kind of like a wide dystopian series. Not as popular, obviously, as some of the other ones. But this is from, he wrote this little blog post on his website, and it's named, or it's titled, excuse me, What Dystopian and Post-Apocalyptic Books Say About Us. And all of the resources I used, I'll link below. So if you want, you can check them out. But that was from todvincialbooks.com and his little blog post. But that was just one section of a very well-written response to the question he poses. And I was reading some other, some other little academic pieces. And I was reading about dystopia and the dystopian genre, and in this one, what is this called? The Cambridge Companion to Utopian Literature. It's big, but there is one section about um, the dystopian genre, so I was looking at that. And who wrote this? H.G. Wells. So, basically, he was talking about how dystopian arose was kind of, like, in response to world events, surrounding world war one like around that time period as opposed to other fictional utopias dystopian fiction kind of like takes the negative aspects of society and puts that into a world to like reflect what's really wrong with society as opposed to maybe utopian books which are more like uplifting or have like different fantasy-ish elements that are more positive and enticing rather than obviously, like, war, hunger, and yada, yada, yada. But I thought that was super interesting and honestly makes a lot of sense. And he writes that dystopia is often used interchangeably with anti-utopia or negative utopia. By contrast to utopia, or good place to describe a fictional portrayal of a society in which evil or negative social and political developments have the upper hand so yeah kind of what i was saying i didn't even read that i think that's an interesting way to introduce the genre and obviously so that was kind of world war one time but now moving on to like where we are now i think i was trying to answer this question just by myself, not looking at anything. And I was thinking that, well, we all grew up with like 24-7 news cycle access and extremely easy access to any form of news and media we want. So obviously all these horrendous events happening in the world as we were growing up in society, all the injustices we were able to access at such a young age. Like I could turn on the TV at age 10 and see whatever was happening at that at that time on the news or I could just go on the computer and look it up like we had that access that obviously people in World War One time period when the dystopian was kind of introduced didn't have so I think that's maybe why our generation and the generations kind of surrounding Gen Z grew accustomed to that genre of literature especially at a young age because dystopian novels kind of speak to all of our fears and anxieties in a way that we don't have the flat out say what we're scared about and what gives us anxiety in society but gives us like that extreme escapism to deal with the possibility of oh this could happen in the world this could happen with society and it it kind of already is i can already see it happening but the idea that it ends up in like the hunger games is obviously very scary but this fictional world is a way where i can see What is happening without having to experience it myself hopefully that makes sense and hopefully you can agree to some extent and i'm not just rambling to myself in books like the hunger games we see ourselves in like these young people rebelling against the government and all the injustices in the world like tris and divergent how she's like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna cause some ruckus same with katniss as the mockingjay symbol mind you she was only like 16 17 when she was like the face of the rebellion obviously in the movies um Jennifer Lawrence is older than that, but in the books, she was literally a teenager. So obviously when we are reading these books, we see people our age basically like upturning all of society and causing these positive, in a sense, positive changes to this evil and deeply negatively rooted society. So we see these teenagers doing these amazing things, these young people that instills power in us as we're reading. And maybe that can transition us to do little things. Obviously not as big as Katniss shooting the president. Spoiler alert, President Coyne, if you haven't seen it or read it. But that's why, and I was thinking maybe that's why our generation is so good at like protesting and voting and everything because we've had these like examples in the media, obviously in a fictional sense of people our age acknowledging these injustices and these issues in society and being like this is scary this is a lot but I'm gonna do something because this is not right this is not how the world should work and obviously take a stand to whatever the government the capital in whatever fictional dystopian universe so I think that's why that like we are so attached I say we as in Gen Z, we are so attached to this series, and why we see why this is keep why sorry, why we keep coming back to these series even now. I think it's kind of like tingling deep in our brain that there's that connection between what's actually happening in society and what could happen with society and a way for us to acknowledge that at a young age and be like, "Oh, things could get bad, they're happening, they are bad. because <laughs> a big. A big premise with the dystopian is that it's, like, the government messing things up or, like, technology, not necessarily society. I guess, actually, in The Hunger Games, they claim, they as in the government, claim that they created The Hunger Games because society, like, had, like, a big uproar or whatever, but who knows. But it's easy to blame society as a young person especially at the time these books were popular. I was in, like, middle school-ish, so I would have been, like, 12 around that time, but, like, obviously as a 12-year-old, like, what are we responsible for? We're, like, living with our parents, and we can't drive anywhere, we can't vote, so really, like, we don't have to take the blame for society and governmental problems as the way we see it at that age, like, of society and the government's messing everything up but I'm like 12 years old and reading The Hunger Games like what am I supposed to do about it like I'm not the one causing these issues right I think that's kind of an interesting idea because the whole idea with dystopian is yeah the government the technology capitalism blah 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 blah, all this stuff is what the characters are like fighting against even though they didn't necessarily create it because all these heroines and heroes of these dystopian books are like teenagers they're literally underage so I think that's I think that's an interesting perspective when I sat down to actually think about this I was like hmm maybe I should be a psychology major (laughs) not actually but there's obviously other elements of dystopian fiction that relate to us when we are younger as middle schoolers as teen readers obviously there's like the isolation and like the kind of like I'm not like other girls trope that we kind of relate to as well so we see the older generations kind of messing everything up and we want to be the person that changes society for the better even though you know we're isolated we are like not like other girls and we're not like other girls because we're gonna stir up a revolution and strike down the hunger games basically (laughs) we can like identify ourselves as these individuals who are capable of change and immensely groundbreaking things because we see it in fictional literature and even though we know it's fiction we can see that relation between relationship between society in these fictional worlds to the society we live in like there's parallels there's things like there's connections we know we know that the author is kind of making a statement in a way and we can be like hey here are all these kids making a difference making change obviously maybe not in the most drastic way they are but we are able to see ourselves as those individuals who are capable of this like change and can really alter the course of society obviously romantic relationships are very necessary in these books because i was, again we're middle schoolers like middle schoolers love that stuff that's i feel like that's why we see a lot of like the love triangle action in these ya books twilight is not really dystopian but i'm throwing her in there we have that love triangle, obviously, Katniss, Peter Gale. We need something interesting, something light, something something middle schoolers can kind of giggle over while reading this, like, honestly, societal traumatization, and whatever. You know what I mean? So, I was looking at this one debate. The New York Times has, like, a room for debate section, but this one's, like, from- this was from 2010, so- This is a little outdated, but it's not. It's really not. Hear me out. So the debate was called The Dark Side of Young Adult Fiction, and the people debating were a bunch of authors of young adult books. We're going to start with Scott Westerfield, (laughs) who wrote Uglies. If you remember that book, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. But Scott Westerfield said this. The system is asking a lot from teenagers and not giving them much respect in return. So it's no wonder that stories about the system exploding, breaking down, on its own contradictions, or simply being overrun by zombies are beloved of teenagers. Great point, Scott Westerfield. Andrew Clements, the author of Frindle and such other novels like that, said this. As to the hunger for today's darker stories, I think scary tales have always had a strong appeal to both people old and young. It's one of the ways we can put the events of our own lives into perspective. the current popularity of dystopian tales also owes a lot to the internet age marketing a degree of consciousness saturation that poe edgar Allan poe he was talking about publishers could not have imagined very also very good andrew clemens i like what he said about the internet age marketing because i was talking about that earlier the age of the readers reading these books when they were popular obviously had immense access to the internet and could obviously see these books marketed but again with like the twenty four seven news cycle and all this all these other shebang shebang things happening. Um my last quote is from Lisa Rowe, Frost Frostino. Frost I don't know. She's she's like a critic. But she said Protagonists like Harry Potter and Katniss Aberdeen may find it more challenging than Ponybork Pony Boy, excuse me, Curtis did to quote, stay gold, to hold on to his goodness, not to become jaded. But that's still the ultimate goal of young adult fiction, and I think the source of hunger for dystopian fantasy in a decade dominated by global fears of war, terrorism, climate change, economic hardship, class divides, and a generally uncertain future for many. I think she hits on a lot of worries that we have as young people that maybe we can't fully recognize yet, like economic hardships or terrorism. In middle school, I felt like maybe those were more of a foreign concept to us maybe than like war or like easy topics to understand like that. So I think that was kind of like an introduction as well. And then I wrote this bullet point after reading that, after reading these quotes the debate. I said introduction to grasping real life issues in a way that's more entertaining and extreme. Are middle schoolers today really reading much anymore? The YA dystopian genre has sort of fallen off, maybe because I'm not on that side of the media anymore because of my age, but what is being consumed now? I think that's an interesting point to kind of end with, is I was thinking about this, I was like, what are middle schoolers reading now? Because are they, like, reading, like, the Hunger Games series and Divergent? Like, I'm sure they know what those are, because they're probably in, like, the middle school libraries still, duh. But also, and... Most of them are probably on social media, like TikTok, so they probably see that. But also, like, I feel like middle schoolers maybe consume less in the way we did. Because, again, I keep saying we as in Gen Z, but now I'm more focusing on, like, I'm 21. So when I was, like, 12 in this this era, I had social media, but that wasn't really the biggest thing in my life. It was more so... Again, I was consuming this, like, popular literature that everyone was talking about because it gave me something to talk about with people because everyone read it. And now I feel like that's more social media. So I could be wrong in saying this because I don't know many middle schoolers currently and couldn't ask them, but what are middle schoolers consuming? What, what do they, what pipeline do they have to real life issues? Or are they, is the pipeline gone? Are they just straight up seeing all this stuff on? like TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and they're just like seeing it straight on. They're like, yep, yep, yep. No pipeline for them. (laughs) That'd be so sad. I think I'm going to wrap it up here because I don't want the first episode to be too long. So thank you for joining me. If you stayed to the end, if you have any comments, questions, I don't know, anything, please hit me up. I would love to talk more about this subject and maybe I will do a follow-up sometime in the future when I establish myself more and figure out more how to run a podcast I hope this was not too painful to listen to my voice kind of feels dry probably because I'm in my closet which has no airflow so I'm gonna stop talking now because I'm kind of cringing at my own voice so thank you um follow me on social media at Macy Berenson I think on all platforms and by all I just mean Instagram and Twitter and yeah thank you for joining me on tentatively media junk drawer. I will see you next time.